3: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Coming up next on the Loverbird Sailing Podcast.
1: Yeah, the ICW, it's kind of sad that people have the impression that it's a necessary evil or just, you know, a means to an end. We like the ICW as a destination, like there are little towns to see, there are barrier islands with miles and miles of beaches, like it's just a really pretty mellow way to travel. We take our time, we go slow, um, and we have a lot of fun.
3: Welcome to the podcast, I am your host Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle, so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. I'm so excited to share this new episode with you today. Not only because it's a great episode, but because today is the day when the podcast will hit a certain milestone, and that is... 100,000 downloads since I started the podcast 10 months ago. This has been an amazing project and I hope to continue doing it in the future as well. If you would like to support this podcast project, please consider becoming a Patreon where you can support the show on a monthly basis in exchange for some extra content, including a clip from today's interview and some behind-the-scenes updates. And on that note, I would like to give a special thank you to the small group of lovely people who have already signed up for Patreon. Your support really does move the show forward. For anyone else looking to join, check out the link in the description or go to patreon.com forward slash liveaboard sailing podcast. So go check that out. I would love to see you there. And right now, there is a little extra perk there for a limited time for new Patreons. All right, so let's get into today's interview. This week, we learn about cruising the Intracoastal Waterway, or ICW, the 300 mile or 4,800 kilometer inland waterway that goes from New Jersey to Florida. Specifically, we dive into why it's not just a means to an end, but actually a pretty neat way to see the US East Coast. My guests are Lucy and Matt from Boat Life Academy, who have done the ICW a total of 9 times. We also talk about their rocky start to the Liverpool life and how they eventually ended up loving the lifestyle so much that they went from being employees to freelancers in order to keep cruising. And of course, since we are talking about the US East Coast, I must find out what's the good and the bad about the Bahamas. Now here are Lucy and Matt. Well, I'm so excited to chat with you because you have a lot of stories and experience to share. And I want to start from the beginning with your first boat. I understand that your first attempt at deliverable life wasn't exactly what you had maybe dreamt about. And you told me briefly that you bought a $10,000 boat, hoping that with a little bit of upgrading and, and cleaning, it will become a at least a $40,000 boat. And I'm sure actually a lot of people do think that and and take that approach. So. What actually ended up happening with your first boat?
1: Well, it was an abject failure. That's my (laughs) story in a nutshell. It was a disaster. Definitely fell in love with the dream of the boat that could be and not the boat that was in front of us.
4: Well, and it seemed like such a good idea at the time. We were just out of college. We were just married. We were 21 and 22. We wanted to live in the Keys and work, you know, minimum wage jobs, but we couldn't afford to live in the Keys on minimum wage jobs. So it's like, we can get this $10,000 boat and basically live on it for free in this million dollar place and work the jobs that we wanted to work. So it just seemed like a really good idea.
1: I had, Known about boating. I had had small power boats and I'd had friends with sailboats, so I thought I knew enough, you know. And we did even get a survey on the boat, which I I look back on and I was impressed that we did that. But on the same note, I'm really disappointed the surveyor wasn't like, you know, there isn't a single thing on this boat that works. Like, this is not a functioning vessel.
4: And I mean, we were just really sweet and innocent. We thought this boat is a mess, but it's just cosmetics. If I Recover the couch cushions, everything's going to be fine. And it just needs a little cleaning. But even the cleaning got us down because we set off a bug bomb. We came back to the boat and there was literally a thousand dead cockroaches in the boat.
3: And I think that was kind of the point
4: at which we were like, wow, this is not just an easy, an easy dream. Like there's reality here.
3: Yeah. And how long did you have that first boat?
1: We had it long enough to move it from Tampa, where we bought it, down to Key Largo. So we did actually do some cruising on it, which is another miracle I look back on and just can't believe that we made that many miles in that boat happen. I
4: think the innocence of youth is really important here.
1: I think total uh, maybe eight months, something like it was less than a year. It was less than a year and we were on it full time for that that length of time.
4: But we sort of did everything that you do wrong. Like, we ran aground within 700 feet of the dock. Like, we could still see the dock. This is our first maiden voyage. We were going off into the sunset. It was going to be great. And, like, we immediately ran aground and we didn't have insurance so we had to pay like 700 dollars for someone to tow us off and it didn't occur to us just to wait for the next high tide like we just we just didn't know what we thought i still
1: have a place of pain against this incident of running aground because that channel into this marina that we bought this thing was just as bad as the boat was (laughs) it had no markers strewn with sandbars and a shifting channel it's like the bahamas but you can't see the bottom it just was bad
4: yeah and then we moved into the boatyard and it just went downhill from there and it was like this isn't cheap like we thought this was going to be our cheap living plan and it was actually going to be less expensive and more fun for us to rent an expensive apartment and buy a boat that works so we bought a 19 foot Grady White powerboat um you know with an outboard motor that we used for sunset cruising and to go out to Key Largo reef so that was actually what worked for us at that time and it took us 13
3: years to get another (laughs) liverboard boat
1: somehow the dream didn't die but it was (laughs) definitely definitely back backburnered
3: yeah that's a really interesting story because obviously you know you go into it a little bit naive and then with high expectations and then realize like well this is neither easy or enjoyable uh as we had or you had maybe hoped it to be but i'm glad that he kept uh at least boating with with your motorboat all that time. And I understand your second boat then was a catamaran, a Lagoon 38. And right now you're on your third boat, which is a monohull. So that's an interesting aspect because a lot of people go the other way once they, you know, they go from monohull to catamaran and stay there. I would love to hear what were your reasons to going back to a monohull?
4: Well, I think it was just a change of goals. Um, When we first bought the catamaran, our goal was simply to take a sabbatical. We were going to quit our jobs, live off of savings, live on this fabulous boat, and then we were going to sell the boat and go back to land life. And we really hadn't planned, like, this is going to be the rest of our lives. So the Lagoon three hundred and eighty. I mean, it was certainly my dream boat. I think it was Matt's dream boat. It's an amazing boat. It has these 360-degree windows that you can just sit and drink your coffee and look out the window, and you can see everything. It has these swim steps that you just felt like movie stars on this boat. It was really, really fun, and it was a great boat for living at anchor in the Bahamas, and you're sitting on the swim step watching the starfish. So it was a really comfortable boat for that. But we started doing longer passages. And on the longer passages, I just didn't feel that comfortable on the boat. um, For a catamaran, I think you're better off with a longer waterline, with a 38-foot waterline. It's really uncomfortable. It does this like jostling motion with every wave. You know, the wave hits and one hull does this, the other hull does this, and the whole boat sort of moves in this really awkward way. When we're doing night passages, I didn't feel that great. Like, I got really seasick. And... I mean, it's expensive. Like we had put a lot of money into the original purchase price and you're constantly putting money into it because everything's double. So you've got two sail drives. You've also got the problem if you're thinking longer term of finding dockage. Um, The marina we're at in our monohull has 130 monohull slips and one cashmere slip. you know? So like just finding dockage, finding a place that will haul you out is more challenging and it's just because you know, so many of these marinas and haul-out facilities are built for monohulls and catamarans are these newer things, you know, when they built the marina in 1950, they weren't expecting so many catamarans. So it's just an expense. When we looked at our longer-term goals, we wanted to cruise for longer. We wanted a boat that was easier to heat, easier to cool, and that we could find a lot of different marina slips for
1: we wanted more choices. We wanted to be able to go wherever we wanted in any region of the world, be it cold or warm and the catamaran, it can do cold weather. That's one thing for sure. And we, like Lucy said, we both were very uncomfortable with the motion of a catamaran. The catamaran was lovely at anchor, but at sea, we had enough boating experience to know like this could be better than this. Like this is not fun for us. Um, The other thing, just from a maintenance and an upkeep standpoint, when I look at a forever boat, I want something really well built, something really, you know, thick skinned. This Cabo Rico that we're on now has like two inch solid fiberglass hull, like nothing is going to hurt her, pretty much nothing. But the catamaran, they're built for lightweight and for speed and even charter cats that are, you know, kind of abused during their lifetime. They're built thinly, they're minimalist in the construction. And so they're easy to damage and you have to take care with them. You have to be careful with them.
4: We're not careful people.
1: (laughs) I just don't like to worry about my boat. Like that's the last thing. I don't want to be out in the middle of the ocean worried about how thin my boat is. (laughs) So I'm all about having a robust, beefy boat underneath me. It makes me feel more comfortable. And uh, the fact that it gives a better ride, I like to.
4: And I think, for us more space doesn't equal more comfort the lagoon had this beautiful living space that looked really good in pictures but we couldn't watch a two-hour movie from the salon because we just weren't comfortable like we'd have to get up and walk around and like I did everything I changed all of the cushions we did everything to make it a little bit more comfortable but just having more space didn't equal more comfort and we were working at the time on the catamaran as well. And it's like, I can change, you know, we've got this huge extra hull that I can change into an office space. And that didn't work out. That was just as uncomfortable as anything else. So it was like just having more space didn't equal more comfort. And then I don't know if it's oh I don't like having extra space that I'm not using. So, you know, when we said that the 38 foot waterline wasn't long enough well I wouldn't want to switch up to a 45 foot catamaran because now I'm hauling around all of this extra space that I'm not using on independence which was our catamaran we had this whole extra hull that we didn't use just felt like we had all of this extra space that we weren't using and we're paying for all of this extra space that we weren't using so it just felt like a waste and an unnecessary expense you know the monohull we're using 100% of the space so it just feels it feels more comfortable
1: and it also you know when you're looking at boats if there's one thing I've learned it's that you don't buy the boat that fits your budget you reduce that considerably so you have extra money to play with and by selling the catamaran, we were able to buy a much less expensive monohull and outfit it in amazing ways. You know, we we redid electronics. We put in the lithium batteries, which we love. We did the, the little wood stove and all these little projects to make this boat really our own um, and do all the little things we wished that the catamaran had but could never afford to make it have.
3: Yeah, so it almost sounds like your first attempt at liveaboard life was, you know, a little bit more short-lived. But your second attempt en- ended up being that, like, no, we want to continue. Instead of a two-year sabbatical, we want to continue with this lifestyle, and that then led to uh, a different boat. So, uh, can you just briefly tell me what is your boat again? I think you mentioned it's a Cabo Rico, and I've seen photos on Instagram. It looks beautiful. <laughs>
1: Yeah, our boat is a Cabo Rico 38. She's a 1985 uh, William Creelock design. She's small and cozy. Cabo Ricos are known. They were they were semi-custom and built in Costa Rica. And they're just full of, you know, uh, plantation-grown teak paneling. And the insides are just um, beautiful and lovely and kind of like a little cabin on the ocean. And we really like yeah, her. It's... She's fun and pretty
4: always been a dream to have a you know a wood paneled cozy cabin that you can have either in tropical destinations or in you know snow so it's just a really cozy all-weather home for us
1: and there aren't too many Cabo Ricos in the world Um, we joined a Facebook group of owners before you know while we were shopping or picking out what kind of boat we wanted to have And when we got to the point where the catamaran was sold and we had money in our pocket, we're like, we are ready to go find one. I actually put a call out on that group just randomly. Hey, you know, we are now in the market. We want a 38. Does anybody thinking about selling? And sure enough, uh, a really nice couple on Chesapeake Bay replied back and said, we aren't on the market yet, but we are looking to sell. This is our price and this is the boat. And the price was right spot on what it should have been and what we were ready to pay. And of all the boats we went and saw, as we saw pretty much every 38 that was for sale <laughs> at the time, um, it was well kept. Like the teak had been taken care of and this couple had had restored the boat. But at the same time, the boat was bare bones. It had nothing in the way of cruising gear. It was just used as a weekend retreat on the bay. So it had little use, was in great shape and was a, a blank canvas for us to outfit the way we wanted to it was a really really great find for us
4: and I think that's one of the nice things about the Chesapeake Bay when you're boat shopping is that there are so many boats that are lightly used and there's a lot less uv damage to them the you know instead of like Florida boats have a lot more use and uv damage this is like our boat was perfect it's kind of hard to believe it's a 1985 boat obviously it's gone downhill like we've worn apart the floors by marching back and forth and chelsea might have like scratched up the floors a little tiny bit but we were able to find just such a beautiful boat for our purposes
3: that's perfect it sounds like a, a great find and kind of that perfect uh thing where it's not in the market yet and you can scoop it up before it gets uh gets out on yacht world and all that
1: so that's amazing we got really lucky with that one
3: and she's never given us any
4: problems you know we've owned this boat for three years and it's just been a delight there's never been anything unexpected we've never really had to curse the previous owners too much um it's that's just true. been <laughs> it's been a really it's a good choice for us.
1: Yeah. When you buy a boat, the first thing you learn is how evil the previous owners were. <laughs> why were they doing this to you? Why Why did they do the wiring like that? Why has this happened to you? Uh, but on this boat, the, the previous owners were, you know, sort of serial boat owners who have a problem, probably like the rest of us. And they did a really great job of, of keeping, taking care of her. It's been said that you don't really own a boat. You're just temporarily taking care of her so hopefully we are doing the same for our little dulcinea
3: another reason i wanted to chat with you is that i know you have experience in the icw on the east coast and i am very intrigued by it but i don't know much about it i've heard kind of good things and bad things so what is your overall experience is it a pretty pleasant thing to do place to be or a necessary evil or a bit of a combination of both
4: I mean, we've done the ICW nine times in various combinations, and I think it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, the ICW, it's kind of sad that people have the impression that it's a necessary evil or just, you know, a means to an end. There's an entire flock of snowbirders who commute every season south for the winter and north for the summer. And it's just like I-95 to them. They, They get on the road and they go. And that sounds pretty miserable to both of us. We like the ICW as a destination. Like there are little towns to see. There are barrier islands with miles and miles of beaches. Like it's just a really pretty mellow way to travel. We take our time, we go slow um, and we have a lot of fun. And we don't always do the ICW. Sometimes we hop offshore and skip it. We skip, you know, tons of miles. We do an overnight, we do a three or four night. Um, That's the one thing I like about it the most is there's just choices. You can go in or out.
4: And I don't know if people that don't enjoy the ICW are just on a different time frame. One of our mates at our marina came to me and said, oh, I hated the ICW. And I was like, oh, why? And she's like, I wanted to go out to restaurants. I wanted to stop in Charleston. But the people she was with wanted to do it as a delivery. So they got up at 5 a.m., pulled the anchor, drove the boat until 8 p.m., dropped the anchor. She never went to any of the restaurants or saw any cities. She just like driving on the road and pulling over on the highway and thinking that you're exploring America would be a terrible experience for people. So it's like more about how much time you have to spend exploring the different towns and kind of enjoying it.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, of course, the experience is kind of why you make it. And, you know, the more time you have, the more time you have to take it all in. Um, Do you have to take your mask off uh, on any of the sections uh, when you go uh, up or down?
1: No, we've been very lucky that every boat we've owned has been ICW friendly. So both the catamaran and our Cabo Rico um, have had mass less than 65. And you can get under all the bridges and um, they've both been fairly shallow draft. Dulcinea is five foot draft and we've had no problems. And actually I got a knock on wood, but we have never run aground on the ICW all nine <laughs> times. Uh, except for once at a marina, ten feet from the dock when they swore there was water at that dock, but there
4: was not. <laughs> and that point that we ran aground at the marina, we were in our catamaran enjoying yeah. three and a half feet, and yeah. we literally had thrown the line to them and, and we're we like, we're not moving.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that you have also done the sort of coastal hopping route as well. So you've done the different routes. I'm curious, what is the time difference? I know the ICW does take quite a bit of time, I think three or four weeks in total, if you do it uh, from quite north. Um, what was your experience when you did this sort of the non-ICW route? Uh, how long did that take you? Or What was your route anyway? Where did you go to where?
4: I think every time we've done it it's just weather dependent so one of our icw trips one of the first ones we took the icw from virginia down to the cape fear river and we were able to go offshore from cape fear north carolina all the way down to miami so that was four or five nights at sea so we only did a very short portion of the icw on that trip Other trips, the weather hasn't been that great for hopping offshore and we just want to keep going. So we've done more of it on the inside. I would say if you are hopping offshore and coming in every night, it's very similar. And I say that because we've kind of loosely buddy-boated with a very tall catamaran. And like we saw them in St. Mary's, Georgia, and we were taking the inside route, but they were hopping offshore each night and three weeks later we saw them in Beaufort, North Carolina so like the hopping offshore and waiting for weather is similar whether you're going offshore and coming back every night versus you know just taking the ICW and stopping um, every night. Obviously if you go offshore the whole way you're making a lot of time like that time that we did the offshore hop from Cape Fear all the way down to Miami. The The
1: thing that saves you time is if you're willing to do an overnight. There's a lot of people who just want to do day hops and they go offshore and they go from inlet to inlet. And the geography of the ICW for nearly the entire route of it is such that you can go sail an afternoon and then come in another inlet. We don't necessarily like that because... Running inlets is not my favorite thing. Like I <laughs> I want to time an inlet for the right tide with the right wind and have an easy ride. I don't like dodgy inlets at all. It's not, not fun for me. So I will either stay in or I'll plan to be out in a passage that will make inlets and winds favorable for me.
3: Yeah, well, you actually bring up a good point, which I hadn't thought about before. Of course, you didn't have to commit to the whole length of the ICW. You can always... Uh... Exit uh, at one point exactly. or another. So that's a really good point. Yeah, adds again a lot more flexibility in there.
1: Yeah, and that's going back to what I said in the beginning. One of my favorite things about the ICW is that it's options. It's all options. The weather's beautiful today, and the wind is, you know, on the beam or from astern. And let's just you know take an easy run offshore and do an overnight or two, um, or. The wind's on the nose and it's gusting in the 30 and it's brutal. Let's just hang out in this little town and relax for three or four days, you know, have some pizza, whatever.
3: Priorities. (laughs) Exactly. There are some
1: really good pizza places along the ICW.
3: (laughs) That's funny you mentioned that, because I was just going to ask you, do you have any favorite places along the ICW? (laughs) sounds like there are some.
4: (laughs) I think there's two favorite pizza places there's the place in Ocracoke so Ocracoke is actually a really unique place and I think it's one of the things that's wonderful about the ICW is you can do all of these little offshoots so Ocracoke is um an island in the outer banks of North Carolina and it's only accessible by ferry. So if you're coming by land, you're going to have to take a multi-hour ferry trip to get there. If you're coming by sea, you can come in and it's um Silver Lake. It's just this beautiful little cosy anchorage. They've got a town dinghy dock you can dinghy up to and walk to the pizza place, which I've totally forgotten the name. It began with a D. It's probably not even
1: there anymore. <laughs> but it's
4: Dargios just, Yeah, Dargios. is really good pizza and really sweet
1: but the whole experience, the town of Ocracoke is just so unique because it's almost like going to the Bahamas, like it's this little island it's cut off from land pretty much. It's a tourist trap in the summer and busy. We've been there in the off season and it's sleepy, man. It's, it's quiet. <laughs>
4: But it's just an out-of-the-way place, and we ended up going for a night or two and staying for several weeks because we enjoyed it so much. And there's a lot of pirate lore. Edward Teach had a lair there and there was a lot of drama there. So you can do ghost tours and find out more of the pirate history. There's actually a cemetery there that is um under the crown of England's protection because there was um some sort of event where a lot of british sailors died and they were buried in the cemetery so there's actually a tiny little plot of england on ocracoke and they even have like their own accent and their own very Mm -hmm. unique culture so so ocracoke was a favorite what about you matt
1: (laughs) well coming from florida our first trip north we we did it backwards right we were in florida and we came north to get out of florida and uh, we were shocked because we figured everything looked like Miami, right? Every, every mile of the ICW must be towering condos and cement piers and basically um, hell, if I'm allowed to say that. But instead, we found once we got out of Florida that it's rural and that there's these marshes and winding rivers and just beautiful, quiet, rural areas. And the towns you do come along are small little port towns that are so pretty to arrive by sea um, so it's just the whole thing the fact that it's rural and away from it all you find all these little islands um, that have beaches that are only accessible by boat that's what I really like about And there's a lot of it.
4: history because like Matt said they're all port towns you know so 200 years ago these you know three or four hundred years ago all of these towns and cities were built based on access by water because that's how our transportation was so all of the downtown areas are the most beautiful parts of that area so you can arrive straight to the downtown you've got these great walking places where you can go out to restaurants and you arrive by water is a different experience than arriving by car you know like my sister drove to meet us in charleston she was like oh so stressful i-95 there's all these cars it's just a different experience where we arrived by sea you know it was just like this easy transition and here you are right in downtown with million dollar views on your little cheap boat
1: yeah one year we when we first got to the bay we wanted to see more of it and we had our car up here so we were like, you know what, let's take a road trip. We, we were, we had, I think we had the boat in the boatyard or something. And let's just take a road trip. Let's go see Annapolis and let's go over to the Eastern Shore. And um, it wasn't very exciting. <laughs> you know, all of America looks the same when you arrive by car. You're on an interstate. You get off on a little secondary highway. There's a strip mall. There's a Walmart. And it's all the same. Uh, but when you cruise by boat and you arrive to these little towns coming in the inlet, driving up the river, you see the old waterfront, you stay at a little marina, everything's a little bit different. You get a vibe for the town. Like Lucy said, you can walk places. There's little little restaurants that aren't chains. They're, you know, family-run businesses. So it's just a completely different way to travel that's very, it's very slow but it's uh-huh. really, really enjoyable. And that's the thing we we really like about the ICW.
4: And there's so many different parks that you can get to. Like um, in Georgia, there's Cumberland Island, which has these wild horses and deer and raccoons. And again, it's accessible only by ferry. So after the ferry boat leaves at the end of the day or in the morning, you're just alone on this spectacular island that's just unlike anything else that you could drive to.
3: Yeah, oh that sounds actually so interesting. I think you are unknowingly doing a really good job selling this idea. <laughs> I need W to me because I love history and uh, you mentioned pirate history specifically. I've been listening to this podcast called uh um what it, the pirate history podcast and it literally goes through all of history. A pirate history chronologically, and yes, it does touch on a lot of those places on the
1: East Coast. So that is super cool to see. That is really cool, and I am going to look that up. That and you can awesome. do your
2: own pirate tour.
1: Yeah, Ooh. you can do your own pirate tour.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars
1: you know, right away when we left Florida, my expectations went out the window. Like, this isn't at all what I thought it was going to be. And I think that's what you have to go into. Just have an open mind and, and be open to whatever happens. You know, you meet some buddy boats and you have fun. You enjoy a little town. Like, we went to Ocracoke. We were going to stay one or two nights. And we met some friends there, our first real cruising friends we met there, and just hung out for a month or so and just had a ball. You and just have to be open so to it. so much
4: wildlife. Like... There's dolphins and manatees and birds, and it's just a really natural area. It's beautiful.
3: That's very cool to hear. And you, for the last almost a year, uh, you've been in Virginia and kind of uh, in one location for a while. So why did you choose Virginia as your uh, playground for an extended stay?
4: Well, we'd been coming to the Chesapeake Bay every year for hurricane season. We just prefer to be in the Chesapeake Bay for hurricane season. There's a lot of different hidey holes that you could either anchor out and there's a lot of boatyards that will haul us um, at a decent cost. So that's one of the reasons we kept on coming to Virginia. um, And another was the boatyards. We came to work on the boat one year and there's just really inexpensive boatyards that will let you do your own work on your boat while living aboard it which is actually pretty unusual um so that's the first reason we started coming to Virginia and then we just really wanted a year off of both cruising and remote working at the same time we just wanted to hang out a little bit more um Virginia's inexpensive there's so much beautiful cruising to get to there's so much outdoor recreation. We have a car. We can drive to Shenandoah National Park. We can drive to all of these different hiking trails, or we can just get on the boat and anchor out in a pristine location.
1: Yeah, we, we came here simply for the boat work. That, I mean, this was, we did research. It's hurricane season. We had the catamaran at the time. We need a boatyard that will haul a catamaran, allow us to DIY, do your own work, that is affordable and that has availability. And all of those things pointed us to Deltaville, Virginia. <laughs> um, and we came once and there's nothing going on in Deltaville. It is literally a town of boatyards. Um, the, restaurant, the, Chinese restaurant. Yeah, the restaurant is takeout Chinese. It's not awesome, but it's <laughs> edible. It doesn't, it hasn't yet made me sick. Um, we have branched out now and, and explored and found some better options, but we do occasionally do the Chinese for a good old time's sake but yeah, we didn't think there was any reason to ever come back here, (laughs) you know, like, but we sort of, you know, spent more time on the water here and exploring and finding, you know, meeting more locals. We have friends in the area now, and and we kind of have the inside scoop on the places to go and the places to hang out, and for example, we, you know, it's March right now, and we just took the week as a little cruise. We went to a little spot called Little Bay. It's a basically an uninhabited island in a protected bay with a beautiful anchorage the beach is one of the most gorgeous beaches that we know of anywhere and the anchorage is just uh, stunning there's nothing going on on this island so chelsea can run amok you know the only other people that come here are either cruisers stopping by and there aren't any of those in march or they're locals who have little power boats and bring their dogs out here to run um so it's just a beautiful little spot it's not the only one it's our favorite but it's not the only one so Virginia has really been good to us and and has proven to be just a, a beautiful, fun place to have a sailboat.
4: And there's so many different spots that you can go to within the Chesapeake Bay. And you've kind of got protected sailing because it's a bay. So you can sail from here to the eastern shore. You can, you can go to Onancock or St. Michael's and everything is just a day hop, you know, so you don't have to think about doing a long passage or being out in bad weather. You can just do a beautiful it's sail brilliant. over to the beautiful, other shore visit a different yeah. town a lot of different towns have dinghy docks for cruises yeah. st michael's dog maryland friendly.
1: is an amazing little town that has a distillery next to a winery next to a brewery
4: and it's all dog friendly and like all and of the, the restaurants have of them, yeah. dog menus so the italian place has <laughs> the lady in the tramp mule with mutt balls for your dog so
3: <laughs> that's yeah. amazing that's fun <laughs>
1: Everywhere, uh, one of the things that we really love traveling north on the ICW is finding how many places are just so dog friendly. Like we are constantly approached about our dog, and you know, when we had the catamaran, we had our last dog Hastings was a little cocker spaniel who got a lot of attention. As soon as we got to you know the Carolinas, everybody was stop. Is that a cocker spaniel? Oh my gosh, he's so cute.
4: And they would carry like dog treats. Yeah, and you're like oh, <laughs> have a dog treat, and then you'll you know, talking to someone you wouldn't have met without the dog and they're giving us their recommendations for a restaurant. So having a dog while cruising has been really, really fun.
3: Yeah, I can see that. Dogs are definitely a great help when socializing, whether you're cruising or not. I find even in my apartment building, I don't talk to any of my neighbors who don't have a dog, but those who have a dog, we chat all the time.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Well, and cruising is different with a dog. You know, we're anchored at this beach and I, I hate to say it, if we didn't have Chelsea, then we'd probably sit here and look at the beach. But Chelsea does not allow that. (laughs) Chelsea wants to go to the beach and she's going to make us put the dinghy or the kayak in and go right now. Let's go for a run. So we get a lot more of our daily steps in thanks to Chelsea and a lot more... feed on land time.
4: It definitely forces us to keep getting off the boat. And I think that keeps us all a lot happier. You know, going back to the ICW, if you're just able to stop at night and not get off the boat, you know, it might be a little bit more boring and you wouldn't necessarily stop at all of the towns and see all of the things. Um, But with the dog, you're forced to get off and that's been really good for us.
3: Well, you mentioned working there and I didn't want to talk a little bit about working because we kind of jumped over this part uh in your story. So uh and correct me if I'm wrong, but you obviously had jobs, sort of normal, regular jobs, and eventually realized that well, that's not gonna fly with your cruising lifestyle and you switched to being freelancers both of you and I'm curious about that switch because it is something that I've been thinking about as well and you know it sounds intimidating and liberating and terrifying and stressful and I'm curious how has that changed for you when you did that changing from being employees to being freelancers and being sort of in charge of your own income essentially?
4: I didn't it wasn't that stressful because we had a two-year goal to go on a spectacle so 18 months into the spectacle it's like we don't want to park the boat and go back to land life and this was you know 2017 so it was pre-pandemic so working remotely was less of a thing than it is now um so we didn't want to go back to driving to work every day but we still had Fudge factor because we had you know that six months of money saved and left. So it's like, look, let's try and do some freelancing. If we can make it work and make income within the next six months, we'll do it. And if not, you know, we'll have to come up with a different plan. So we kind of had that fudge factor, and we were just able to make it work. like it it kind of happened immediately for me. I was able to go to work as an online teacher, and I immediately had you know all of the work that I wanted.
1: Yeah, we were lucky enough to meet during our first few uh, years of cruising quite a few younger cruisers who were working full time while traveling. And I think that was a little bit inspirational for us. And one of the reasons we thought, oh, we could actually make this happen. It will take a lot of hard work and finding something we can do by freelancing. Uh, But it's an attainable goal that people are out here doing. And that was eye opening for us both, I think. Lucy was able to do the teaching. I struggled for a while doing different things because I, I really <laughs> I w- worked as a professor and I was a flight instructor um, both hands-on in-person jobs and I didn't want to go back to that. I didn't really want to teach online anymore and so I, I looked into my past at you know I did photography, I did writing I did all of these different things so I kind of played around. Um, with different freelancing platforms and taking on different projects. Um, And it took me uh, probably two years before I was really able to land into a niche that worked for me, which was writing uh, web content and articles.
3: Yeah, well, that's really interesting to hear. And and thank you for sharing your story, because it's always good to hear these different uh, experiences that people have had switching from being employees to being freelancers and then making it work. And, you know, even though it's not immediately obvious, but you had a good strategy, though, to have that six month sort of test period to see how it all gets going. So that that's, uh, that's a good idea uh, for sure for anyone to try.
4: And I think that if you're a cruiser or you're a person that's interesting in cruising you're already self-sufficient and sort of you're able to plan out your own day and your own plans so that crosses over into freelancing like you're able to be self-motivated and figure out your own problems and get on with the job at hand you know instead of just being an employee and when you're cruising you kind of have to get on with it and plan your own day so I think that the two go together really
3: well. Yeah, for sure. Well, we've talked a lot about the East Coast US, uh, but and you briefly mentioned Bahamas, and I want to zero in on that for a little bit, because um, I think it sounds like such a fascinating sailing destination. Do you have your favorite things about the Bahamas? What do you love about Bahamas? And maybe as a contrast, what do you don't like? Is there anything you don't like about the Bahamas?
1: Well, the Bahamas had been a dream for me since our very first cruising boat. Like when I was in high school living in the Keys, I had friends who would hop in their power boats and go over to the Bahamas for a few weeks every summer. Uh, I didn't have that luxury, you know, that that's how they had grown up. So I was hearing stories about Staniel Key and all these places uh, that just sounded so exotic and so amazing and were just right over the horizon. If we could just get a nice enough boat, we could get there. So when we finally did get there many, many years later in the catamaran, it was just amazing. I think one of the best things about the Bahamas is just how big a country it is, right? The Bahamas is a whole bunch of separate cruising destinations wrapped into one nation. Uh, I, I measured it for an article once, I, I think it's like 600 nautical miles long or something like it's, it is an enormous country with with just 1000s of little islands and keys. So um, that is My favorite thing about it is that it never gets old because there's just so much to go see and do and so much sailing and so many little islands to check out. And there's a mix of visiting towns and seeing the locals and and mingling with the other cruisers. But there's also just isolated, quiet beaches that are away from everything.
4: Well, and that's like it had been a dream for over a decade, and you look at pictures of the palmas, and it's like you want it to be as amazing as you think it is in your mind. And it's like, is it even possible that it could be as amazing as I've built it up to be? And it's like as soon as we crossed, we were coming into Bimini, and you're in 50-foot water, and you can see the bottom at 30 feet. You can start counting the starfish. Like it's like almost unbelievable that it could be as amazing as we'd worked it up in our minds and it was just it's an amazingly beautiful country and the water is swimming pool clear you can cross the banks and count the ripples of sand underneath your boat and it seems like wow that must be three feet away but you know it's 10 20 30 feet um down to the sea floor it's just incredibly beautiful
3: yeah, it sounds like exactly what I've seen online, but it can't be that perfect. Surely there's plastic crap on the beaches or, I don't know, give me something. So what's the downside to so Bahamas? So there's definitely plastic crap, I think.
1: Yeah, the beach, some beaches can be pretty pretty full of, uh, since you specifically mentioned <laughs> that one, we will agree with you. Yeah, some beaches have a lot of uh, floatsome, you know, trash on them.
4: But I think for us and for other cruisers, the hardest thing is the weather. You know, we're in Virginia and we're getting, you know, a 40 knot storm and it's windy and it's cold. Well, that storm goes all the way down the East Coast and into the Bahamas. So they're also getting this kind of miserable weather and it's harder to find all around protection because, you know, the West is completely exposed on most islands. So if you're getting a West wind, you're unprotected and you've got a serious swell and there's this horrible thing called wraparound swell that comes around from the ocean into your sweet little anchorage and it rocks the boat and you start to feel seasick at anchor. So enduring cold fronts and dealing with weather that's less than perfect, I think is a definite.
1: Yeah, and there's a constant thing to that. It's like, you, you can't just tune out and enjoy it. You're always looking at the horizon. Well, it's beautiful now, but in two days, we're going to have a squall line and gusts to 40 and winds from the Northwest for three days. What are we going to do? Where are we we going to be? Yeah. How, how are we going to anchor for that? Where's the best protection? So there's a, there is a almost tiring, I want to say, you know, perpetual planning to being out there and, and really enjoying it. The um, the last thing you want to do is, is not pay attention and just enjoy the moment because uh, you don't want to be caught by surprise by that. The other downside that I want to mention is that it's, um, it can be crowded. The, The Bahamas are very accessible. They're near the US. It is, you know, one day away for somebody with a go fast boat or a big motor yacht from Miami to get to the Exumas. So it's, it can be a place where popular anchorages get really, really crowded with a whole mix of boats and a lot of people. And it's not, locals (laughs) you know it's it's just a busy busy anchorage full of boats and that's not exactly what you imagine from the Instagram pictures right so that gets me down sometimes I I struggle to try to find the the anchorages that are a little more quiet and a little further away from the crowds
4: we can be loners and you know we want the whole country to ourselves (laughs) but yeah, other- <laughs> and when you do find a protected anchorage everybody else has had the same idea so now you're sometimes you're up all night watching the other boats in a windstorm so it's just hard to find good protection in cold fronts i'd say a lot of people want to get to Palmas as soon as possible so they go in november and december which is fine but the weather is going to be miserable right through March. And when I say miserable, I mean, same as everywhere else on the East Coast, you're getting cold fronts and wind fronts. And, you know, you're going to have to want to find a good protected anchorage. But starting in, you know, March, the weather gets better everywhere. And there's fewer cold fronts. So you can really enjoy the beautiful Bahamas a little bit more.
3: All right, thank you for that reality check as well. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I don't see any other boats on the Instagram photos. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's perfect. But uh, yet another reason I wanted to talk with you is the fact that you sail with a dog. Because as listeners know, that is my goal as well. So while we are still in the Bahamas, I am always asking people about stray dogs in the areas that they sail in. Have you found Bahamas to be? a place that has a lot of stray dogs or not so much? What, what's your experience been with somebody who does sail with the dog?
1: Most of the time, if you didn't get from that last answer that we're loners and we're anchored by some deserted beach, uh, we don't see anybody. <laughs> you know, sometimes there'll be other cruisers. There's plenty of cruisers out there with dogs. The only time I've ever experienced stray dogs are around the settlements in town. There are dogs because the Bahamians have a completely different pet ownership culture. Um, Their dogs are not companions. They're serving a purpose of working dogs or they're, you know, like you say, strays or just kind of (laughs) lazy dogs that walk around town all day. Um, I have never had a bad experience. Thinking back on it, I was approached while walking Hastings in Marsh Harbor, um, which is a busy little town next to the dinghy dock. And a pack of dogs came up but they were all friendly and Hastings was a good boy and it all worked out it didn't really freak me out but it did make me think more about going into the towns with the dog we don't go to the big big cities so we've spent a little bit of time in Freeport um, and we've never been to Nassau we it's not our scene so we haven't bothered in general i don't worry about stray dogs over there
4: yeah i mean when we're in the bahamas we're just focused on finding that beautiful sandbar and the deserted islands and these obviously don't have any animals unless you count iguanas and pigs but that's a whole nother story but yeah, yeah. well um, maybe
1: that's really where we should steer. the question <laughs> are, are is are the, there aggressive the, pig, the pigs don't like the dogs, they yeah. them, so keep,
4: keep the dogs away but them. most of the time we're on deserted beaches and it really hasn't been an issue
3: all right that's actually really good to hear that it's it's definitely a doable destination because I have looked into some other destinations further down in the Caribbean that have quite a lot of stray dogs and it does worry me because I don't know I have a small dog so I don't want anyone attacking him and oh, exactly. he's a jerk so he <laughs> will provoke anybody <laughs> well another thing I would love your thoughts on since you have experienced sailing with a dog and of course this is kind of a such a big concept for me to even wrap my head around so I have I feel like I have so many questions that at the same time I can't think of any questions about sailing with a dog <laughs> but uh, I'm wondering whether you have anything on your boat or in your doggy first aid kit that you found really helpful, whether it's, uh, you know, medications or whether it's uh, equipment or gear. I mean, obviously there's, uh, you know, your dog will have your PFD and and such. But uh, anything else that you have found to be really useful when sailing with the dog?
4: I think it depends on the dog. When we had Hastings, he was an older Cocker Spaniel. He came on the boat when he was 10 and he died at 14. And we didn't need um, lifeline netting for him because he never left the cockpit. Like he was so cautious and he was so happy just to hang out in the cockpit Um, especially underweight but with Chelsea she's a nutcase and she's a puppy so we immediately put lifeline netting up so lifeline netting can be a really good idea if you've got um, a more active dog and it's certainly saved Chelsea a number of times so we're really happy to have that Chelsea has a life vest that has a handle. So even when we're kayaking, she's wearing that life vest because she'll jump off of the kayak and I have to get her back in. And with that handle, I can just grab her and put her back in the kayak. Um, So that's been really good. We didn't put together our own medical kit for her. We bought what's called an adventure dog medical kit. And that's more for dogs that are going into the backcountry and hiking long distances. But it's got a lot of, you know, stuff that you would need in on a boat, staples if there's a really big gash, bandages that are good for fur, and it came with you know an outdoor medical book. So if you're in a rural area and you needed to do first aid yourself, it walks you through the steps um, to take care of your dog until you can get to a vet. One of the other things we have for Chelsea is insurance, but with the insurance comes a 24-7 on-call vet. So You know, if we're in a rural area and there's an issue and we've had this, Chelsea has a rash, what's going on? You can send a picture, text, call, and that on-call vet will talk you through the triage steps um, that you can take to help your pet before you can get them to a vet. Because we're often you know, even in Virginia, we're an hour and a half away from the nearest emergency vet. So it's good to have, it's kind of that peace of mind that we've got this vet that we can text at any time.
3: Yeah, that's really interesting. I never heard of, or never even thought of that, that there would be insurance for a dog. Obviously I've thought about insurance for myself and for the boat, but not for my dog. So that's a really good idea, especially if it comes with that 24 hour assistance, because that's exactly what you kind of need. If you are, like you said, even if you're on in the US. But you know, if the emergency clinic is far away, you want to know what to do, or whether you go there and see them. So very good tip. Thank you.
1: It's definitely something that I think a lot of boaters don't think enough of (laughs) uh, enough about and plan for. Um, You know, even if you're just taking the ICW, and you think, well, I'm in America, you know, I'm right on the coast, I'm in civilization. Well, if you think through it, I'm on a boat. I'm in the middle of this marshland or whatever, and the dog has an accident or something bad happens. I mean, if it was a human and something happened, you can maybe get the Coast Guard to come lift you out or something. It could get a go fast boat. But if your dog gets hurt, that's not really an option. Now you're moving the boat, trying to find a dinghy dock or something. What are you doing? Get in an Uber? It's a thought exercise we should all go through just to be prepared for that day and hope that it never happens. But we're a long way from healthcare out here even in the u.s much less the bahamas
3: yeah yeah for sure and i'm actually on a wait list for a dog um first aid or a pet first aid course just to even and get like right. a, a, yes. a little bit of an experience uh, instead of a panic um because it's such a weird feeling my dog broke a tooth last fall just chewing a, a bone or not even a bone oh, like a rawhide gosh. And, you know, relatively yeah. minor thing that ended up being, you know, thousands of dollars in dental work. But not- <laughs> see, that's why we've got the health insurance. The insurance <laughs> exactly. But yeah. just knowing that he was in pain, even though he didn't really show it. But, you know, I could see the the roots of the tooth showing. So I knew that was painful. And he was just, he was just got wrenching to not be able to do anything because I had to wait for a long time to get to a vet because everybody got pets during the pandemic and all that. So it's just like, oh, it's just still makes me sick to my stomach to think about that. So I want to try to be as prepared as possible. But of course, you, you can never prepare for everything, but uh, at right. least something.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Well, those who have listened to a few episodes of the podcast know that I always ask about internet availability in certain areas. Uh, but with you, interestingly, I don't have to because you have actually written an incredibly detailed article on the many, many ways cruisers can get internet access in the Bahamas. So first of all, thank you for, for writing that article and sharing it. And I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about your, your website and your plans for the Boat Life Academy project.
4: Sure. Well, Matt and I both worked at a university, so we come from an educational background, and Matt was the chief flight instructor for the flight school. So we've both been pilots and been in education and really cared about learning first. When we became cruisers, you know, we've had boats all our lives together, but we really didn't know what we didn't know. Um, So with Boat Life Academy, we're writing different courses to help new cruisers envision what life is going to be like but also give them confidence to go cruising and have it be fun instead of a stressful frustrating experience so you know we're writing courses that teach people how to anchor cruise the icw provisioning getting internet buying your first boat you know just basic questions to give people confidence to go cruising
1: yeah, I think part of the inspiration was meeting a lot of new cruisers. There's a lot of people buying boats. Uh, the pandemic spurred it. Uh, all the YouTube channels that are so popular now spurred it. There's a lot of reasons for it, but there are a lot of people who are now on cruising boats traveling around who would never have been doing that five years ago um, when we were doing it. It's it's kind of a different um, cohort of people that are out here. Um, but even still, no matter who you are and no matter how much experience you have, the first year of living aboard full time and the first year of cruising is stressful and it's a, a huge learning curve. I know that's been overstated, but it's true. Um, it, it, it gets a lot easier after that first year is over and after you've figured some stuff out. So our goal with the website is simply to make that first year more accessible and easier and more fun. We want to... Take a little bit of that stress off people's plates by giving them a little foundational knowledge. Lucy mentioned we met when we were getting our pilot's licenses, and we came from this educational background of having a foundation of knowledge that was pretty well rounded, that talked about the systems of, in this case, the boat that you're driving or the plane you're flying or whatever, and and what makes it tick. Why does it do that? Why is it wired like that? How does the engine work? It's you know, basic function. So we had this, this foundational level of knowledge that made us feel better about learning all the little stuff that is really missing in boating, we think. So we're hoping to make up for that little <laughs>
2: problem.
3: Yeah, I think you are definitely already doing it because I was browsing the website and just reading that article specifically on the internet access in the Bahamas. I was like, okay, it feels doable. <laughs> it's no longer this Black box in my mind, like I don't know if there's even is internet. How would I ever get internet there? Uh, and just reading that is like, okay, not only is there like one option, but you laid out like all the different possible ways, uh, and it just made me feel a lot better about about you know possibly doing that one day <laughs> well, well thank you funny... for saying that
1: that makes us feel better about the whole project
4: i was just gonna say the funny thing is it's almost better and cheaper internet access in the bahamas yeah, we because were... <laughs> you can use cell data and it's super fast and one of the technologies is a newer technology you know the alive they've put up new cell phone towers um so it's almost it's easier and cheaper than america
3: Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I look forward to more articles and there are already more articles on the website and I look uh, forward to more courses and all the content because it's been really good. Awesome. But thank you so much for chatting with me today. You have given so many good tips for cruising on the the ICW with dogs and, and so many other things. So thank you for sharing all that advice with me today.
4: Well, thank you so much for having us and we hope to lure you to the Chesapeake Bay.
3: And there you have it. I've linked the Boat Life Academy website and Lucy and Matt's Instagram account in the description. Check them out for some good cruiser knowledge. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. I am so glad that you are part of this 100,000 downloads milestone episode. I mentioned Patreon at the top of the episode. And another and completely free way to support the show is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Although if you are a Spotify user, you can't leave a written review, but you can rate the show and I would appreciate it so, so much if you did that. When a podcast has ratings and reviews, it will be suggested to more podcast listeners and I would love your help in growing the show. Okay, that is all for this week. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next week with more Sailing Stories.